Hello mortals and greetings from Valhalla. It is I, Miss Darby, back with another segment of Storytime with Sluts. Just a reminder, I am always looking for other voices apart from my own, and I know there are self-proclaimed sluts out there that like to write and have stories to share. So please send them my way via babesofvalhalla at gmail.com. Remember, we keep everything anonymous unless instructed otherwise, and you always get to listen to the episode before we release it. Well, let's get started. Welcome to The Babes of Valhalla. Content may not be suitable if you are underaged, closed-minded, or immature. We discuss topics that are graphic and sexual in nature. So this week's episode was actually supposed to be another customer interview. However, I had an interesting weekend that included a conversation with my boyfriend's mother where she revealed to me that she knows where I work and what I do and that it is not bartending. She was great about it, very open and accepting, and we ended up having a really awesome conversation that brought up a lot of stuff for me, and the story ended up kind of pouring out. Please be advised that this story does contain some light descriptions of physical and verbal abuse, so keep that in mind going forward. I was screaming with every ounce of power I had. I do not need you. I can figure it out on my own. He laughed unfazed. Oh, really? His voice was cold. You think that you can just make it on your own? You don't need me? No one's going to love you or care about you the way that I do. I knew exactly what he was talking about. I'll pay you back everything you ever gave me. Take all the shit you bought me. I don't want it. I don't want your money. He grabbed the hair at the back of my head, his face inches from mine, his breath on my face. Oh, really? And how are you going to do that? My voice was a whisper. I'll figure it out. He pushed me down onto the floor, hard, stood over me, dug in his pockets and took out a stack of bills and threw them at me. As the cash fell around me, I tried to disassociate from my reality. Pretend I wasn't there and that this wasn't happening. This wasn't me. This wasn't my life. How could it be? He said something as he walked away. I only caught the word whore. Sitting on the kitchen floor, I stared at the bills on the hardwood. I was exhausted. Six years later, this day sticks in my head as the moment everything changed. I had been stuck in a relationship that could only be described as abusive, controlling, and toxic. I had tried to leave again and again, and again was sucked back in. People tend to tout that they would never let a man hit them. They would never stay. You can leave. Just walk out the door. Break up with them. Move on. There's someone better out there. You deserve more. I know I've been guilty of just that. But what isn't understood, except by those that share the experience of physical and emotional abuse, is that you can't. I was petrified with fear and felt alone. My parents and close family had moved across the country. They might as well have been in another galaxy. I was 22, ill-equipped to deal with the emotional trauma, bipolar, alcoholism that was my 38-year-old boyfriend. Having just graduated from college, I was not only a broke art major with the loom of student debt hanging over me, but I was desperately seeking the stability that school had offered, and the answer to questions like, what am I going to do for work? What is my life going to be? The world was open to me, full of opportunity, 
I could do anything, be anywhere. And the fear of that was paralyzing. I felt that one wrong step would lead somewhere I would regret being 10 years later. My mistake in that fear was choosing to cling to a man that made choices for me, veiled his controlling behavior under support, helping me understand the way the world works, helping me grow up. What I didn't understand is that he was sick. And at this point, I'm pretty sure he was a narcissistic sociopath. But hey, I'm no psychologist. He owned his own business, had familial wealth. He bought me expensive gifts, took me on vacations, helped me get along with my bills while I figured it out. I cooked, cleaned, took care of his daughter on the weekends when she stayed with us. And at the time, I was grateful that I had someone that was supporting me. It was the first time I felt like someone other than my family was there to help me. But like the old adage states, nothing is free, and I paid a heavy price. I wore what he told me to wear, stopped talking to my male friends and most of my female friends. When he wanted me to stop bartending at our local bikini bar, I did, thinking, well, this will just give me time to figure out what I want to do for a real job, even though I knew it was only because he thought I was cheating on him and didn't want men hitting on me. Eventually, he wanted me to go part-time at my day job to help more at home. You want to pay more anyways, so I'll pay you to take care of the house. I justified it over and over again because I hated that job, and voices around me kept telling me I was so lucky to have a guy to support me. They didn't know that behind closed doors he called me whore, slut, bitch, that he threw things at me, pushed, grabbed, smacked, locked me in the house for days, went through my phone, and broke my things in rage fits. To his friends, he was perfect, and I was lucky. In my reality, I was terrified. The day he threw the money at me made me feel so small and powerless. I sat there, looking at it scattered on the floor. I kept thinking, I need to figure this out. I need to get out of this situation. I need control back. I need power. I need to feel like I can make myself safe. I need money. The thought came like a spark. I'm going to start stripping. I had little experience in the industry. I'd cocktailed and bartended at the aforementioned Bikini Bar, my hometown's equivalent of a strip club. A month later, I created a reason to be gone most of the day, gathered two of my closest girlfriends, and we drove out almost two hours away to our first audition. We were all in similar financial situations, broke, young, and a little bit adrift. We wanted to suck the marrow out of life. We wanted to stoke our passion projects, not cash a check from a soul-sucking J-O-B. We were determined to find a way to give ourselves the opportunity to thrive, and we were willing to give this stripping thing a go. Since I got out of the puberty hellhole that is high school, I developed a certain confidence in myself and my looks, and thought that I was pretty enough. However, with my current relationship, I had gotten used to being punished for it. Punished for dressing too sexy, punished for wearing too much makeup, dyeing my hair, all apparently examples of me quote-unquote asking for attention from men other than my boyfriend. I was told my legs were too big to wear short shorts. I didn't have the boobs to pull off certain tops. He sneered that somehow I always managed to look like a lipstick lesbian going to a rock concert and needed to grow up. I became self-conscious about my legs, my pale skin, the size of my areolas. I didn't think I was ugly, but I felt like a fraud. A pretty enough-faced, huge-nippled, giant-legged, pasty-skinned freak. The first lesson stripping taught me is that none of this was true. After my first few weeks of dancing, I felt strong. I felt capable. I started to see myself as customers saw me. Wow, I love how strong your legs are. Your skin is so beautiful, it's like you're glowing. 
You have the most perfect breasts. Has anyone ever told you how proportionate you are? And what I realized is that it wasn't that I was the pinnacle of beauty. Every girl in that place was getting complimented like this on physical traits that they possessed. What changed was that when I looked in the mirror, instead of big thighs, I started to hear strong legs, thick thighs, sexy. When I looked at my skin, instead of hearing pasty, I heard glowing, smooth, soft, beautiful, and so on and so on until it wasn't the echoes of men, be it customers or my boyfriend in my head, but my own voice. I started to feel like me again. I remember before I started my first shift thinking how it would feel to have men throw money at me. Would it feel degrading, desperate, make me feel small, dirty? At the time, my boyfriend was sure to remind me how physically small and weak I was compared to him daily. There were times it got scary enough that I thought more than once, he's going to kill me. In telling this story, I know that every woman, no matter what, has experienced harassment from men. Be it catcalling, stalking, verbal and or physical abuse, unnecessary comments about their body, we've all dealt with it. Being a girl is scary, and we joke about not wanting to end up in a dumpster, but that shit is real, and the world is a terrifying place. To add to the unpredictable terror that men inflict, the vulnerability of performing for them in a thong was nerve-wracking. However, I was surprised to find that in the strip club and through stripping, I finally found safety, a pseudo-refuge among men. In this environment, I was the one with the power. Things were not done to me. I allowed them to happen, as measured by my own boundaries. When I said no, it finally mattered. When I said these are the rules, they were followed. When my boundaries were pushed and I needed help, it was there in the form of the other dancers coming to my aid or as a bouncer to get rid of a pest. I was safe, powerful, in control. I made the rules. I was able to enforce them. I was in charge. Soon, I had my first experience of a man making it rain. He took what was probably a hundred dollars in ones and threw them expertly high up into the air above me. I was laying on my back, legs up, shaking my thighs, and the money floated down around me and on top of me. I was exhilarated and thrilled. The man that threw it yelled out a cheer. I felt so seen, sexy, and strong. The second lesson stripping gave me was more akin to a gift, a rebirth, a restoring of my power and my ability to wield it. Somewhere on my birth chart, it states that I have a strong desire to create and connect with community, and time and time again, I prove it to be true. At the time, I was isolated from friends and family. Even those that were in roles to help turned away, leaving me further isolated. In fact, our couple's counselor actually told me she knew the abuse was physical, but she was here in a support role for him, and I should seek my own individual therapy. At the time, I only felt stupid. I had been wearing shorts and tank tops to reveal bruises as a cry for help. Instead, she essentially gave me a sweater to cover them up and told me to take it somewhere else. Retrospectively, I should have reported her, but I remember thinking, I guess it's just not that bad. I must just be dramatic. His own parents were aware, and I remember calling, begging for help, their son screaming at me in the background. Sobbing, I asked his father to come, that I didn't know what to do. His son was out of control. His father clipped at me. Well, you guys need to figure this out for yourselves, and hung up. I guess he thought I could just walk out the door. He left me alone with a crazy person. Thinking back at all of this, I am disgusted. I am disgusted that the counselor didn't do her job. 
I am disgusted that his parents knew exactly what was happening in that house and left me as a young woman to handle their 38-year-old mentally ill son alone. I am disgusted that the police told me I didn't have enough physical proof for a restraining order, and I am disgusted that I couldn't bring myself to tell the few people that hung on that I needed help. It was embarrassing, and it was gross. I felt dirty, and I felt pathetic. I was lost at sea, with no community, and nowhere that I could talk and feel like I was understood. That all changed when I started stripping. Sitting in the dressing rooms and listening to the girls talk, it was a free-for-all. Nothing was off-limits. Divorce, politics, abuse, neglect, drugs, drinking, you name it, someone in the room was dealing with it or it was something in their past and there was no filter. It was open and honest and grimy and we laughed about it, that great medicinal laugh that reminds you you're going to be okay and you aren't alone. I started to talk. I found a community where it wasn't uncomfortable silences or awkward glances. It was jokes, it was hugs, it was encouragement, and an ass smack here and there when you walked past each other. It didn't normalize the abuse I was enduring, but it didn't feel like a big secret I carried around, and I started to feel less like a freak for having this in my life. Most importantly, my slow escape wasn't looked down upon. It was cheered, and my small successes appreciated. When I did find my own therapist, the girls congratulated me. One more step in the right direction. They seemed to have faith I would be okay, and were resources and advice when I needed it. It made me feel worthy, and it helped me continue moving forward towards the light I was beginning to see at the end of the tunnel. While during this time I felt very isolated, I want to make it clear that I had people that loved me and were concerned. My best friend Charlie, who I share this podcast with, was with me every step of the way. My mom expressed her worry that something was going on, and begged me to tell her. But that was just it. I wasn't telling them. I wasn't talking. I wasn't able to form those words to speak out loud to two of the most dear people in my life. What they knew was only the tip of the iceberg, and it wasn't until I started dancing that the third lesson stripping taught me was how to free my voice. Writing this and now reading it out loud has had me in a fit of anxiety. This is reliving the darkest moments of my life to date. It feels like there's an elephant on my chest and I feel like I can't get enough oxygen. This happens whenever I sit too long with these memories. I can't believe I used to feel like this every day, but I believe it's a story worth telling. In the end, I don't know how I pulled it off. I hid my budding career as a stripper for my boyfriend as waitressing in an all-night casino diner an hour and a half out of town. I sold him on the benefits of working long hours, but less days a week and more money to contribute to our lives. I edited and deleted text messages from girls, customers, and lived in perpetual fear I would miss something and get caught. When he asked me point-blank if I was dancing at the club in the tiny casino town of my restaurant, I laughed out loud. I'm too self-conscious to wear a bikini, let alone get naked in front of strangers. Good one, babe. And then later sent him a picture of me and an actual employee at the restaurant I said I worked at. I'm still thankful for that waiter that posed for that picture. Wherever you are, Jose, you're an angel. Somehow I convinced him, and the long drive kept him from checking on me. It took me a full year and a half after that day in the kitchen to finally leave, cut the cords, and be done with it. Six plus years later, I still cry for that girl on the kitchen floor. It might have been a long time past, and sometimes I'll go months without thinking about him in that time of my life, but it sneaks up on me when I least expect it, and I'm surprised what triggers it and how raw it sometimes still feels. Looking back on all the insanity, 
and the close calls of that time, I must have had a goddess looking out for me. I know that not all stories about stripping in the sex industry are positive, and those of us that end up here come to it for different reasons and have different results. I myself have negative stories that have come from working in this industry, but I can tell you that I don't regret it. Stripping found me broken, terrified, poor, and alone. And it gave me strength, confidence, money, safety, and sisterhood. I fully believe that stripping saved my life, and for that I say thank you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 or talk to an advocate online at www.thehotline.org. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Storytime with Sluts. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Babes of Valhalla. Share this episode with your friends and give us a review wherever you get your podcast rocks off. Until next time, stay nasty. Babes of Valhalla is written and produced by the Babes of Valhalla, otherwise known as your illustrious lieges Darby and Charlie. Music provided by the musical genius Gemini Genesis.